Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us now, and we're starting to see, you know, a few live events pop up in bars and stuff uh, here and there. And uh, have we got Danny, uh, uh, Cam? Not I heard yet. Just something in my ear. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Danny, Hotcha Danny Duggan is uh, the owner of Sub, uh, CWE Wrestling. And uh, he's a wrestler himself, of course, with a name like Hotshot Danny Duggan. And his first show, the uh, first wrestling uh, for him and his wrestlers is happening tomorrow night. First show since COVID-19. Danny's on the line now. Hi, Danny. Thanks a lot for having us on. Yeah, I just wanted to get you on quickly here. So you haven't been doing any wrestling. Well, I guess you were doing some wrestling on Facebook, weren't you? Yeah, we did a couple live stream events over the last three months, but tomorrow night is going to be the first time we've been in front of a live audience in almost four months, and it'll be the first event uh, to take place in Canada since the pandemic. First wrestling, live wrestling event here and right across the country. That's correct. That's why we're calling the event Patient Zero. We're going to be the test subjects for the rest of the country to get the professional wrestling back into the swing of things. Now, you're doing it at Rookies out in Transcona. I know that establishment well. How is this going to work? You're going to have wrestlers. You're going to have people in the room checking out the wrestling, but I imagine there are restrictions on the numbers, right? Yeah, most definitely. It's going to be a completely different environment than we've ever produced an event before. We first off have to be at half capacity, so... Instead of the usual shoulder-to-shoulder, people on top of people, uh, you know, hot environment that we usually produce events under at Rookie Sports Bar, we're going to be at, you know, 100 tickets is the, the capacity we're allowed inside the building, and the groups of people that are in there have to be sitting six feet apart from the other groups that are attending. So we're, we're going to have some restrictions right off the get-go, which is going to completely change the environment in this whole dynamic of professional wrestling. Wow. And that goes uh, tomorrow night at what time at Rookie's? 8 p.m. bell time. All right, there you go. We've got to plug in for the event. Um, I, I wanted to give your event a plug, but I also wanted to find out, uh, you know, how it's uh, feeling getting back at it. So that's my question. How does it feel? You're, you're finally getting back at it. It's going to be different, but it must be uh, feeling good to start doing live events again. Most definitely. We're only allowed 100 people in there. We're certain we're going to fill it. But even if 10 people show up, it's going to feel like 10,000 because it's been so long since we've been in front of a live audience that we're all very eagerly looking to uh, – to get back into it and get that adrenaline rush that we're accustomed to getting, you know, 20 to 30 times a month. I'll bet. What was, I was curious about this because I, I watch a little bit of uh, WWE and they were doing matches with nobody in the room. And that must be really tough for, for you wrestlers, eh, to do that with, with no crowd reaction because that kind of stuff fires you guys up, gets you pumped up to, to perform, right? Yeah, and it, and it really changes the dynamic of the art form that is professional wrestling because, you know, what makes pro wrestling unique and different than any other form of entertainment is, you know, improvising and playing off the emotions and reactions to the audience. You know, if you're a pro at what you do, you listen to that audience and you kind of take them on a ride and, you know, let them dictate to you where they're at and where they want to go. So without that, you know, you're pretty much a dance rehearsal. <laughs> and then that's not quite the essence of the art form that is professional wrestling. So it, it definitely changes the, the production of it and the presentation of it. So we're really excited to be able to be, able to be uh, in front of our natural element once again. Well, I'm happy for you. I know you're excited, Danny. Have a great night tomorrow night. And uh, I, I, as you said, I'm pretty sure you're going to get 100 people in there, but it will be nice to kind of get back to normal in many ways, including a live uh, wrestling match with uh, spectators in the room. Thanks for doing this, Danny. Thanks a lot, Hal. Hotshot Danny Duggan, 
the owner of w, uh, CWE Wrestling. 8 o'clock, rookies in T-Town, Transcona, uh, tomorrow night. Only 100 people, though. And the people that are inside will be following all the restrictions that we have, of course, uh, become very accustomed to. Brian Bowman. We're going to chat with him about the racism, anti-racism movement in Winnipeg. Five years ago, McLean said we were the worst in the country. And uh, so we'll get an update uh, from the mayor. I played, you know, let me just play uh, a short version of what I played uh, before the news there. Uh, in case you're just tuning in, this is Brian Bowman five years ago when McLean said Winnipeg was basically the worst in the country when it comes to racism. My wife is Ukrainian heritage. <clears throat> um, my family's Metis. I want my boys to be as proud of both of those family lines. And I want every young person in our community, regardless of where you come from, to be proud of Winnipeg, be proud of who you are. And there's a lot of attention right now on racism after what happened with George Floyd and, uh, you know, the uh, Justice for Black Lives uh, rally here in Winnipeg, 15, 20,000 people turning out for that. And our question of the day at cjob.com is, do movements aided by demonstrations like Black Lives Matter or Me Too create real change? That's the question that we've been having you vote on at cjob.com. Feel free to go in and vote when you get a moment. And your choices are yes, short term, no, never, no, uh, just hashtags. It's just hashtags. It's not no real uh, change. And the other choice is yes, they are long-lasting. So do movements aided by demonstrations create real change? Number one answer so far at 43%, so close to half, yes, but only short term. Yes, but only short term, 43%. No, never, 31%. No, just hashtags, 18%. Yes, long-lasting, single digits, 8%. That's our question of the day at cjlb.com. Go and vote when you get a moment. All right, Mayor Brian Bowman joins us on the phone now. Sir, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. How are you doing? Hey, good. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, it was. Uh, I know you're real tight for time, so I, I want to get right to it. I played the audio from five years ago when McLean's, uh, well, the headline was, Welcome to Winnipeg, where Canada's racism problem is at its worst. Before we get into an update and, and where we're at now and, and how you feel about our progress, what did you? How did you feel when you read that? What was your reaction just initially reading that headline? I was pretty angry, to be honest. Um, you know, anytime somebody, you know, the headline uh, criticized the city that I love, and uh, a lot of people care about this city. And when I first saw that headline, I was I was angry. Uh, I thought, okay, here we go again, another Toronto-based media outlet taking a pot shot at Winnipeg. But then I read the article. And I read the real human tragedy that was contained in that story. And it uh, it really illustrated to me that we needed to do better as a community. And, uh, you know, we, we redoubled our efforts at that stage to try to do more to combat racism. And, you know, we've uh, we've got more work to do, but we've made some some positive strides. 
Yeah, talk about the progress, because I agree, we, we've made progress, but listen, this is yep. something that's going to be ongoing for a, for a long time. I hate to say that, but that's how I feel. I, I, do you feel yeah. the same way? I do. I mean, look, racism is not something unique to Winnipeg, um, but what is unique to Winnipeg is how we tackle problems. We, we deal with things head on. Um, there's not a, a lot of room for fluff in these discussions in Winnipeg, and so I do find that Winnipeggers are able to have honest, difficult discussions and the way that we've always dealt with things is by working together as a community. You know, we're we're uh, physically isolated in some ways from other major centers. And so there is this um, we're all in it together approach. Um, and so we're continuing to have that discussion. You know, after after that McLean's article came out, uh, you know, about seven, eight months later, we had the, the uh, National Summit for Racial Inclusion. And then we created the Indigenous Advisory Circle and um, of course, the Indigenous Accord and the mandatory reconciliation training for all of our city staff, as well as members of council and I. And uh, and more recently, the Human Rights Committee of Council is something that has been created that is serving as a very important vehicle to uh, figure out how we how we move forward as a as a community. You were at that uh, rally on on Friday night. Are we on the verge of real change, significant change? We can't eliminate the problem but are we close to doing something really significant well you know what i think that the work is ongoing and i think uh certainly for racialized communities and those that have been directly affected with uh with racism in our community and in communities around the world um they are tired of waiting and and simply to say well just wait um is is offensive and so we are working really hard. I mean, the Human Rights Committee of Council, that work is ongoing and it's resulted in, in policies that are already uh, being, uh, being you know, moved through here at City Hall. But, um, you know, unconscious bias training in the police service and other departments is something that is already there. I do think we have to keep an open mind and open hearts to what we can do better uh, within our areas of jurisdiction. And I and I hope and trust that that's the approach at uh, the legislature and in Parliament, because all three levels of government have a role to play. And more importantly, I think I think more has to be done throughout the broader community. That's where the Indigenous Accord comes in. Um, granted, it is focused on building bridges with our Indigenous community, but it is part of our overall human rights agenda. And I think what Winnipegers and residents in other cities are, are faced with right now is a choice. Are we going to redouble our efforts to build a community in which we're all proud to call home or not? And I think Winnipegers opted the challenge, and I think we, we, will, we will redouble our efforts in the, in the weeks and months to follow. Mayor Bowman, I promised your office I'd have you on with your day by 10 after 2, so thank you for wow. your time. Really appreciate it. <laughs> promise made, promise kept by you, Hal. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate Mayor, talking with you. Have a great day. You too. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us. And your uh, thoughts on how far we've come in five years since McLean said that about our city and your thoughts on what the mayor just had to say. 204-780-6868. Hal at cjob.com. The new season, season seven of Alone, begins on history tonight. Here's a taste of what you can expect. The most extreme alone challenge that's ever been done. 
Survive 100 days of the Arctic. 100 days? Nobody's done this. And win $1 million. This place will crush you. With no shelter, no camera crews, no one to help. Ah! Alone. New season premieres Thursday at 10. You can't tap out when there's a million bucks on the line. On History. Now that's 10 Eastern, so 9 o'clock Winnipeg time tonight on History Season 7 of Alone. There is a Canadian on the show. Her name is Kylin Maroney, and I talked to her this morning and recorded this conversation with her. Hi. What was 100 days in the Arctic like? I can't imagine. <laughs> we have to wait and see if I make it to 100 days, but it was uh, the time I spent out there was pretty intense, I'll say. It was a roller coaster ride for sure. And you can't give anything away, obviously. We have to watch. Uh, but this should be yep. easy for you because you and your husband, Dave, are winter wilderness guides in northern Ontario. Were you nervous going in, or did you feel kind of like, I got this? <laughs> no, I, I didn't have any sort of false false ideas of, of how easy this was going to be. Um, yes, yes, I know what winter is like, and I know what to expect. But that is on a full belly, you know, we're, I mean, on our winter expeditions um, with our company, Lure the North, we do, you know, we're eating 35 to 5,000 calories a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have, you know, the luxury of just opening up the wand again and, you know, taking out a big chunk of meat and pepperettes and right. cheese and, you know, so... I wasn't under any sort of uh, false pretense that it was going to be easy. By the way, you blow your nose the way my grandpa used to blow his nose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's better than getting it all over your sleeve, I guess. (laughs) What was harder? Was it the physical side of this or the mental side for you? Um, That's a good question, and I think it was in waves of both. Um, I think at one point, you know, you're just missing your family like crazy and then another point you know you've got the stomach ache that you don't know how to shake or you know there's so many challenges mm-hmm. um you just hope that they don't all come to a head at the same time <laughs> yeah in six seasons nobody's ever done a hundred days and the prize this time around is the biggest ever at a million bucks did that million dollars at the end of the road make this easier or in some ways tougher? Um, I think, you know, I, th- I said this in, in one of the episodes where I think it, at first it makes it easy because you know there's a definite end date mm-hmm. that still doesn't make it any easier to get there. You still have to spend those 100 days out there and this, the, you know, the same kind of challenges are going to arise. Um, and so, yeah, I think the money to me wasn't a top uh, motivating factor. It was more mm-hmm. just doing my, my family proud, uh, my country proud, and um, not giving up was kind of the biggest motivator for me. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see the first episode, and there's a scene where you eat <laughs> spruce sap. Not yeah. one of your best decisions, I guess, eh? 
Well, you know, if you've read any of the books, they tell you it's edible and that, like, the Native Americans would eat it as, like, chewing gum and early settlers. And I was just like, okay, like, this, I mean, it looked like gum. It looked like pre-chewed gum. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, give it a go. And, yeah, it just stuck on my teeth for hours. (laughs) Like, oh, it was, ugh. I don't recommend it. What else did you learn? What did you learn out there? Did you come away with some life lessons? I think the biggest thing that I I learned was that you can crawl your way out of any low, uh, you know, that you're you're encountering. Um, the human body and the human mind is is just incredibly resilient. And you know, when I was going through tough times, I would always think about other instances when people were going through much, much more difficult times, you know, full genocides and just torture and imprisonment and then these expeditions like Shackleton, you know, these people are are the real survivors uh, of of the world. And so this, you know, game show, it does put things in, in perspective. It was very much real for me out there. Um, but I ultimately, and the other nine participants all had a red button that they could press and just it would immediately, you know, go away and you could be in a warm place. So um, that was a life lesson for me is just how resilient we can be. Um, and that is going to carry forward for me for sure. You said that the only thing that might cause you to tap out, actually two things that might cause you to tap out, injury and starvation. Did you at any point get close to mm. tapping out? Um, you'll just have to wait and see. I, I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't really tell you if that if that happened, but there was definitely times where I was like, I just don't think I can do it anymore. Right. You know, I just don't think I've I don't think I've got it. And then you know you you sleep on it, or you go for a walk, or you pick some berries, and you realize, oh, like okay. You know, you think about a new way to mm-hmm. look at something, and yeah. you come up with a new solution. And so that was my story, was just, you know, going through these lows and overcoming them and then having, you know, a triumph afterwards or whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah there was definitely moments where I was just like, you know what, I, I'd love to be home right now, but uh, you'll just have to wait to see what happens. And we will be watching, and I'm sure you do all us Canadians proud. Kylan, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Kylan Maroney. I talked to her this morning. The Season 7 premiere tonight on History Alone. They're going for a million bucks, ten of them. She is Canadian, and of course, she couldn't tell me how she did. We'll just have to watch. And by the way, if you watch uh, tonight, first episode has her eating the spruce sap. Kind of funny. I wish I could play the audio. It, like, I can't because it's you know hasn't aired yet. And uh, when I said she blows her nose the way my grandpa, you just got to watch. Watch tonight, and then you will know how my grandpa used to blow his nose out on the farm. Go and vote at cjob.com. Our question of the day, do movements aided by demonstrations like Black Lives Matter or Me Too create real change? So far, the leading answer at 43%, yes but only short-term. And we're going to talk about that as well with Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling, who joins us on the phone, conexuscounseling.ca. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, Hal. I'm great. How are you? 
Excellent. Fantastic. Lots to talk about today. Uh, I had the mayor on about half an hour ago, and we were talking to him about that headline, uh, that McLean's headline five years ago, saying that Winnipeg was the most racist city in Canada. And, of course, with all the developments of late, I wanted to get an update uh, from him. And all the shows here on CGLB today are are focusing in on the various movements, and I'm focusing in on Winnipeg and Manitoba's anti-racism movement. Uh, what do you make of our question of the day so far, the vote saying, yeah, these movements work, but only short term? How, how do you feel about that? Well, I think movements move things forward, but I think the rally last Friday night in and of itself is, important but isn't going to create lasting change but i think what will create lasting change are the ripple effects that stream out from event like last friday and just when i think about my last week um i have had several meaningful conversations with friends and family about race in ways that we rarely talk about it i have often talked about race with clients in session uh, but i have not had a lot of conversations you know just over the supper table and at a party about race and these are white people talking about race and racism and trying to learn and figure out and understand and clarify in ways that I think actually are really important. And those conversations likely wouldn't have happened if not for the rally last Friday. And so I think we've got some good things that can be happening. And I'm hoping that there will be lasting change because of the action that continues to happen out of what happened last Friday. Yeah. And I think, too, sometimes, you know, movements, as I said to the mayor half an hour ago, um, there was progress five years ago. We've had more progress since. But it's something that's going to go on, you know, if if not for a very, very long time, maybe even forever, right? Because, I mean, we're always trying to be better and, and improve. And then sometimes events like what happened in Minneapolis – and and that I asked him, do you think we're on the verge of real significant change? Because sometimes single events like that can move things along very quickly, right? I think there can be real change that happens when we see something so awful happen and we see it again and again, and it, we just say no more. We've got to do what it takes to make sure that sort of thing doesn't happen. Those kinds of changes can happen and are really important, but I think what we need to do is continue to recognize and not get cocky about it, like, oh, this time we're going to lick it, because I think it's when, when we get cocky and say, this time we're going to make sure it doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore and we're going to have racism. But like, that's when we get relaxed and when we stop having those conversations. And I think the new generation is going to have to be sensitized and become aware, and we are going to ha- continue to have those conversations. And, and I think... It, it's kind of like peeling back the onion, right? Like I think I'm more aware this time than I was last time around, but I'm learning each time and I want to get better and better at understanding what it's like to be a person of color and what I can do as a white person to be an ally and to be supportive of them. Um, and I'm learning more and more. And so I'm excited about what I'm learning now and what I'm going to learn five and 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Why are uh, many of us really defensive about stuff like this you know just the racism is what we're talking about right now so um i had somebody text me earlier and say i'm generous in giving and winnipeggers and manitobans are generous in giving you can be generous in giving and still have unconscious biases or you know have uh, do things that are are racist or or say things that are racist right why are we so defensive why can't we just say yeah i need to do better 
Well, I think we all like to be thought of as good people. I want to be thought of as a good person. And in our culture, we often create, we, we equate racism with bad people. And so nobody wants to be a racist because we don't want to be bad people. And I think what I'm hoping with this time around as we're talking about things is that we can say that good people aware that they have racist behaviors and that um, people that are wanting to move forward and continue to be even better people are ones that talk about it and acknowledge that they have things to learn and that it's actually a sign of courage and bravery to say, I'm going to have awkward conversations so that I can get better at this rather than a sign of you haven't done it right in the past. So you're a bad person. I think we have to rethink what, how we learn and how we move forward and, and understand that wanting to address this and saying I've made mistakes in the past doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a person that didn't know what you were doing, and now that you know better, you will do better. Mm-hmm. You know, so many things have happened just in the last little while. Like, just as an example, the TV show Cops is is now off the air, right? And another uh, police show called Live PD, A&E, had just ordered uh, 160 new episodes in uh, May prior to George Floyd's killing, and now that show has been pulled. Uh, The Grammys have announced that they are changing one of the categories. They're getting rid of the word urban, which, of course, has been associated with uh, black music, a a synonym for black music. We see all these changes, you know, and uh, sometimes, and and listen, I'm I'm not in any way uh, saying any of those things don't make sense but it seems like sometimes do those little or smaller things matter carolyn is it all part of the big problem i think what we recognize is that people of color have been sort of for a long time been saying there are systems that are unfair i'm not being treated well please listen to me and so often they have felt shut down and unheard and so i think whatever we can do to say we hear you Black Lives Matter, people of color matter, we are going to be very aware and very thoughtful and we're going to be sensitive and we're going to actually make changes. And are there going to be mistakes that are made in over-canceling things? We'll know from 10 years from now if that's true or not. But I think when people are making saying very clearly we are correcting, even at the danger of over-correcting because we see your pain and we hear you and we're listening to you and we want to have you know that we are listening and so these are the concrete changes we're making. I'm hoping that that's heard by people of color as, okay, they're starting to listen and we're starting to hear and then we keep the momentum going so that these aren't just gestures in June of 2020, but they are a new way of living going forward. Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.